Genesis chapter 5. So on your handout, the ten men in the first genealogy in the Bible. The theme of the Bible is seen through the record of the ten men in the first genealogy in the Bible. So if you look at Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and caused their name Adam. So ladies, that's why you take your husband's name. In the day when they were created, verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image. So notice the difference between verse 1 and verse 3. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created him, in the likeness of God created he him. So uh, Adam was created in the likeness and in the image of God. In verse 3, Adam has a son, and this is after the fall. Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So because of sin, because of the fall, we lose the image and the likeness of God. And that is regained at salvation, and we'll address that some more in the future. But here in Genesis chapter 5 is a genealogy, and I want to give you how. Remember, we looked last week that the theme of the Bible is not the redemption of mankind. The theme of the Bible is that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and sit on his throne in Jerusalem and receive the glory that's due his name. That is the theme of the Bible. Don't miss that because it changes the way that you look at it. And we have seen that that number seven is all through the scriptures. And the seventh day is the Lord's day. And if you look at the, at the history of mankind, you have 6,000 years of human history. And then that seventh day, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, will be that millennial reign, which means Jesus Christ is going to come back anytime. We're not going to put a day on it, but I'm telling you, I don't think it's going to be 200 years from now. Jesus Christ is coming back. And that's the theme of the Bible, and that's what we're looking for, is the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, so we've been looking at these patterns of this theme in Scripture, and in this first genealogy in the Scriptures, we find it. So look at number one on your handout, Adam. Adam. And that, so you're going to have two spaces there. It says meaning and then significance. We're just going to look at the meaning, then we're going to come back and get the significance. So Adam. So Adam's name means man. Adam's name means man. Um, I believe that there is a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, and that there may have been some kind of pre-Adamic existence, some kind of angel war that happened, and then everything was destroyed. And that's called the gap theory. And I lean toward that. I, I, I believe it's probably true. I don't teach it here because I don't have that clear statement from Scripture, but I believe that that's what happened. And one of the reasons why we don't believe there were any humans in that period is because Adam is the first man. That's what his name means. So we don't believe there was any kind of pre-Adamic human race. His name means man. Then next, Seth. Seth, and his name means appointed. Appointed. Enos, his name means desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Can you imagine that being your name? What they call them 
you know, they call him Des for short. That's just, what a name, desperately wicked, Enos. Then Canaan, his name means possession. Possession. The next is Mahaliel, or Mahalaleel, Mahalaleel. And his name means praise of God. And we're going to tie all this together in a minute. His name means praise of God. Jared. His name means jeweler. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Descent. <laughs> Descent. Oh, he descended into jewels. Number seven, Enoch. Enoch, that name means dedicated or train up. Dedicated or train up. Methuselah, man of the sword. Man of the sword. Number nine, Lamech. Lamech, his name means powerful. Powerful. And then Noah's name means rest. Rest. All right, so what's the significance of these names? All right, number one, Adam, man. Well, his significance is the creation of man. The creation of man. So if there was no Adam, then we wouldn't believe in creation. That's the significance. Genesis 1 and verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then Seth. Seth, it means appointed. Appointed. And the significance is commission. Commission. So the idea here is, when you look at Genesis 1 and verse 26, and we have it on the screen for you, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. It's interesting. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, they set the order of everything else that will happen. So we have people that believe that animals have the same rights as people. The technical term for that is dumb. Men have rights. Now, the Bible actually speaks about abusing animals. We're not to abuse animals. Right? But they're not people. They don't have eternal souls. They're not the same. And men, a man is to have, and man is to have dominion over these things. God establishes an order, and He gives them a commission: be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. This is why my my sister called me this week, and um, her and a lady from uh, their, her best friend. They've been in church together for thirty years. Um, they were in Florida on a little trip. And they had watched John Piper's statement about not voting for Trump and his statements on homosexuality and some of the issues that are going on. And they just, she knew that I would speak plainly 
And so they called me while I was in Oklahoma, and we had a conversation about it. And one of the reasons that homosexuality is so wrong is it's, uh, and, and I learned this from Jeff Faggart, and it's such a good thought, and it is, um, it's a violation, it's a sin against humanity because it violates the commission that God gave us to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. There's a book that you ought to read, and it's, it's, it's uh, I don't know, 15 years old at least now by, um, uh, I'll think of it, it's called The Death of the West, The Death of the West, and it's describing how entire people groups are going to disappear from the face of the earth because they're not having children. They're not having enough children to continue their race, their people. And so this idea of homosexuality is it's a crime against humanity. This transgenderism, the Bible says that it's a shame for a man to look like a woman. It's, and God's clear about that. And here in this text, you have God created man in his image. Male and female created he them. It's, there's only two options. All right, so then enos. Enos, that means desperately wicked, and the significance is the fall. So look at the progression that we have. You have man, and God gave man a commission. And we haven't gone through this information in this setting, but don't forget that the commission that God gave man was very clear. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And what God wanted Adam and Eve to do, Adam was a son of God. And that's what the Bible calls him in Luke 2.38. It goes back on the genealogy and it says, Adam, who was the son of God. A son of God is a direct creation of God. Didn't have a human mother or father. And he, wasn't the, he wasn't, uh, didn't come into the world by the natural processes of a man and woman. He's a direct creation of God. And what God's intent was for Adam and Eve through their relationship with each other, to reproduce other sons of God that would bring praise, glory, and honor to the Creator. But when man fell, now he could no longer do that because he had lost that image. And so here you have Enos, desperately wicked. Remember what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, that the imaginations of the thoughts of men were only evil continually. And so what you see here in this genealogy is you have the fall. The next thing is the fall. That's the significance of Enos. And then Canaan. Canaan. And this is such an interesting thing. This, the significance of Canaan is the nation of Israel. Um, what do we call the land where they settled? Canaan land. Now, it's spelled differently, but that's the significance. Genesis 17, "...and I will make thee exceeding fruitful." And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So you have the creation, Adam, and then you have the commission, be fruitful and multiply, through Seth. And then you have the, this, this, the fall through Enos. And now here you have the, uh, the, 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 cheap, the choosing of God's people. Then Mahalalel, this means, means praise of God. And the significance is the reign of Solomon. The reign of Solomon. And here's what happened during the reign of Solomon. The kings of the earth came to Solomon to see the greatness of the kingdom. And what, what Solomon would do is he would point them 
to the greatness of his God. Why was Israel great? Because of the God of Israel. That's why they were great. David was a man after God's own heart. Saul rejected him. God elevated David. And then David couldn't build the temple because David was a bloody man. But he, he raised Solomon to be able to do that. And God gave him that great wisdom. And so in 1 Kings chapter 10, you have the people coming and, and, and just talking about the greatness of Solomon. The next thing that happens in chapter 11 of 1 Kings is you have the descent. And that's Jared. The significance is the captivity in Babylon. From this point on, there are no more kings in Israel. They have kings, but they're not reigning the way that Solomon reigned. The glory of Israel had departed. It's a terrible thing when you see what happened. And that begins, this descent begins in captivity. Then Enoch. Enoch, the meaning is dedicated or train up. So after that descent, from the time they go into the captivity, they go back, they rebuild the temple, then you have 400 years of silence. No revelation from God. Nothing. 400 years of silence until this dude comes in from the wilderness wearing camel skins, eating bugs. John the Baptist was a dude. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, of men born of women, and how many men is that? All of them except Adam. There's none greater than John. And what John does is John ushers in the, a, a new era, pointing people to the Messiah, to the return of Christ, for, or, or to the first coming of Jesus Christ. So Enoch, dedicated to train up, the significance is John the Baptist. Matthew eleven eleven. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Matthew 3, verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. There never would have been a church age if Israel had accepted their Messiah. Jesus Christ would have established his kingdom on the earth right there. That was the message of John the Baptist. Repent and be converted. That was, that was the message of John the Baptist. All right. Then Methuselah. Methuselah, his name means man of the sword. And the significance is the first coming of Christ. This is fun. This one's fun. The first coming of Christ. When I think of the man of the sword, I think of when Jesus Christ returns the second time. But think of how the Bible does this. Ephesians six seventeen, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the sword of the spirit is the word of God, right? And what's Jesus name? In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. The sword was made flesh. And boy, Jesus Christ came and cut a swath through the world, didn't he? It's amazing. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Lamech, his name means powerful. Powerful. And so you have Jesus Christ came... And he was the word, and he manifested the word of God 
I have manifested thy name, John 17. I have given them the words which thou gavest me. As thou hast sent me into the world, so also have I sent them into the world. Jesus did all that. and He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. But notice what happens here. Powerful. The significance is the second coming of Christ. Now, the first time Jesus Christ came in humility, the second time he's coming in power. And remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, what was he seeing? The power and coming of the Lord. Mark 13, 26, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Man, I can't wait for him to come back. Here's the fun part. For this coming, we're coming with him. We go out for seven years, but we come back with him. How awesome will that be? We can say, I'm with him. Do you know what a good thing for us to say right now is? I'm with him. I think we call that Christian. Amen? 2 Peter 1 and verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Mark 9 and verse 1, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And they went on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. Number 10, Noah, rest. Well, what happens after the return of Christ? The millennium. The millennium, that millennial rest. So even in the names in this genealogy, you have, the, you have this glory of God, the, His reigning and coming back. Now notice what the Bible says in Genesis 7-2. Let's tie this back together. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all the work which we had made. Now we call the, we call the, the seventh day, that day of rest, What's the first day? Sunday. The second day is what? And then Tuesday. This is a test. I know it's hard. And then Wednesday. And then Thursday. And then Friday. And then Saturday. And then what's the next day? It's the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. And we have to remember that. That when Jesus Christ returns, it's going to be a day of rest. And on the seventh day, God ended the work which he had made and rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Revelation 20 and verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, it's interesting. Y'all have heard me talk about this before. There are people that don't believe in the thousand-year reign of Christ. And what they say is it's only mentioned once in the Bible. 
And so there is this thousand-year reign of Christ that repetition is God's volume control, and He's just wanting us to know. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. So all the, those first ten names... They, they show the history of mankind and of the nation of Israel. And they show that, that, that the theme of the Bible, it's building to the time of that millennial rest when Jesus Christ sits on his throne and receives the glory that's due his name. Let's look at this next example of the theme. The preaching of all the prophets of the Old Testament. The preaching of all the prophets of the Old Testament. So Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, remember, Jesus Christ, when, when uh, Peter is preaching this in Acts 3, Jesus had already ascended to heaven. He had already ascended. So now what we're looking at here are when Jesus Christ comes back, there are going to be the times of refreshing. What are the times of refreshing? Well, look at what it says in verse 20. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of, what does it say right there? All his holy prophets since the world began. What is this time of the restitution of all things? That the creation is going to go back to its original innocence and beauty. It's the restitution. It's destroyed during the tribulation, but he restores it all. And what restores it? The presence of Jesus Christ. Man, it's wonderful. That presence and power of Jesus all the holy prophets prophesied about that. So if all the prophets prophesied of that, that's the theme of the Bible. Does that make sense? If they all prophesied, it's that's the theme. Um, Jude 1, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. This is the theme of the Scriptures, the Old Testament prophets. Now, Zechariah, you'll, re you'll recognize some of this. And in that day... Will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people? Remember, that day is the day that Jesus Christ comes to receive the glory that's due His name, and that's the millennium. And in that day, will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Zechariah 12, 4, In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment, and his rider with madness, and I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah, and will smite every horse of the people with blindness." And that day will I make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. And that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God and the angel of the Lord before them. I, I love this verse because when I think of David... The Bible says that, uh, and the people would say, that Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. David was a man's man and a mighty warrior. And the Bible says the weakest man will be like that. Isn't that an awesome day? That day, that's what's coming. And the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadidramon in the valley of Megiddo. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin 
and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day. What do you think the theme of these chapters in Zechariah is? What do you think it is? Yeah, that day. You guys are quick. I like that. It doesn't take long for you to catch on. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. Chapter 14, behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and by spoil uh, shall be divided, or and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Verse 4, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and on the Mount of Olives, and the, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south, and there's going to be raised up the highway of the king. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In the summer, in, the, uh, in, in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over the earth in that day. There shall be one Lord and his name one. Now, don't ever forget, that's the theme verse of the Bible. That's the most important verse in the Bible. Zechariah 14, 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. Shall there be one Lord and his name one. Zechariah 14, 13. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. And they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor. And his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. In that day shall there be bells uh, uh, upon the bells of the horses. Holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. It's important for us to understand that this is the theme of the Bible. That day, all the holy prophets, all the Old Testament talks about it. The Old Testament and the Psalms. But notice this. The theme of the Bible is seen through the record of the preaching of creation. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth showeth forth His handiwork. Creation preaches a message to us, which is why it's so crazy that people worship creation when that creation points to God. The preaching of creation preaches the theme of the Bible. This is fun. John 9, 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. So remember what Jesus Christ is saying. Just as the Son is the light of the physical world, Jesus Christ is spiritually the light of the spiritual world. If you don't have the light of Christ, you are in darkness. That's what the Bible says. Creation tells this. Acts 1 and verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud was received, uh, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So if Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, then the light of the world has been removed from heaven. And you know what the Bible calls this period of time? Darkness. Where does the Bible say that? Romans 13, 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. The world is in darkness. The world is of the night. You see how creation is a picture of all of this? What happens then? What's the next step? Philippians 2 and verse 15, 
that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, a perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Light doesn't work in light. Light shines in darkness, and that's who we are to be. But notice what happens, Malachi 4.1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, it shall, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the... What's the spelling there? S-U-N. Capital. The Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as the calves of the stall. I want you to think about something. Every 24 hours, a sermon is preached. You have the darkness, and then the sun rises. You have the darkness, and then the sun rises. For 6,000 years, every person who lives on the face of the earth has heard that message. They've heard that message. The sun is going to rise with healing in his wings. The sun, you're in darkness, you need the light. You're in darkness, you need the light. Every person on the face of the earth understands this. Romans 8, 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So it's really important for us to understand that the Bible teaches that all of creation is waiting for the redemption. And you know what the next passage says there in Romans 8, 23? It says that, that we, we also groan, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Because it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we see him, we'll be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Praise God. So the theme of the Bible is also seen through the record of the preaching of the Old Testament stories and Psalms. Let's go through this. In that day, we've looked at that, right? Remember, we looked at that through Zechariah. How else does that... So let me stop. I'm going too fast. The purpose of this study is to learn how to study the Bible. And there's so much more in the Bible than we know from a cursory reading of the Bible or from the way that it's often taught. Because what happens in many churches is the pastor opens up a passage of Scripture, he reads that passage, he might explain its context a little bit, but really the primary teaching of that lesson is how you can have a better life. That's, that's the prime. I need to go to church because I need a little bit of encouragement because my life is hard. Your life's really not that hard. You need to buck up. You need to war a good warfare as a soldier of Jesus Christ. And you need to come to church to hear from God and His Word. Amen? Now, sometimes that'll be encouragement. Sometimes it'll be a kick in the pants. Sometimes it'll be information. Other times it'll be inspiration. The idea is that you're to be under the preaching of God's Word in its context. And the reason that so many people miss the theme of the Bible is because it's not taught in the pulpits, because it's very difficult to take enough time to explain the theme of the Bible and teach people how they can have their best life now. And so what I want to do is I want to take a minute and we're going to go through two stories in the Old Testament and we're going to find out there's more to, there's more information in those stories than we ever dreamed. So let's, let's look at this. Israel and its Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 14. Now, how many of you are familiar with the Exodus? The crossing of the Red Sea? 
and this will be fun. Look at verse 30, Exodus chapter 14 and verse 30. And tell me if you find anything in this verse that ought to be a flashing light for us. The Lord saved Israel. What are those next two words? Out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. So, thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. So, what are we going to learn from this? So, in that day, we're talking about Israel's exodus. I want you to look, let's see, I don't think, no, so look at verse 19. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went before their face and stood behind them. The angel of God. Anytime you see the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. So he's in the text. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And it came to pass that in the morning watch... The Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Now, I want you to see something. This, You see this, the morning watch, I've got it highlighted, the morning watch. This is significant. So what have we seen? That day, Jesus Christ is there that day. So you've got two components that you know you need to be looking, need to begin looking for something. Keep your place in the book of Exodus. And go to Mark chapter 13. Look at verse 32. But of that day, does that give us anything to look for? But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh. Look at at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. And so it's interesting that this happens, verse Exodus chapter 14 and 24 that I have on the screen, and it came to pass that in the morning watch, so we have this this designation. Go to Mark chapter 6, and I believe it's verse 48. Yeah, verse 48. And so remember, the disciples are in the ship, and they're toiling and rowing, and they're in tribulation, in verse 48. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. So what we have here are pictures of the return of Christ. Jesus Christ returns when they're in trouble. And this is Israel, it's not the church. 
There, when, when Israel is in their time of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble is what it's described, that's when Jesus Christ returns. And he returns in the fourth watch, in the morning watch. The morning watch. Now, so when we... The other thing, if, if we go back, look at verse 24, and it, that we're back in Exodus 14. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the, what? The pillar of fire. You see that? The pillar of fire. So we have that day, we have fire, we have Jesus Christ is there, and we have the fourth watch, the morning watch. So when we put this together... Look at second. I don't. Did I put it in the notes? No. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter one. Second Thessalonians chapter one, and verse eight. Well, let's look at verse seven. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's tie all of this together. What we have, when we put all the pieces of the story together, what we have prophetically in Exodus 14 is the Lord Jesus Christ appearing with flaming fire on behalf of the children of Israel in the morning watch at a time when the children of Israel, when the children of Israel's backs are against the wall, they have nowhere to go and don't know what to do. And the Lord of Jesus Christ absolutely annihilates their oppressors, just as He will at His second coming. You find these pictures of Jesus and His return all through the Scriptures, and they're identified by those key words and phrases. And when you understand the Bible by comparing the words of Scripture, all of a sudden your eyes are opened and God teaches you lessons that are just exciting. Let's look at one more and then we'll be done. In that day, so Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Joshua and the battle of Jericho. So let's go to Joshua chapter 6. It's crazy that they found the city of Jericho and the walls fell exactly as the Bible says it. It's crazy. I want to go. How many of you want to go see it? I'd love to go and walk the walls of Jericho. That would be such a cool thing to do. All right. So Joshua and the battle of Jericho. This is a picture of Jesus. So let's think about this. And it came to pass, Joshua 6 and verse 15, I've got it on the screen for you, and you might want to mark some of this in your Bible. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And seven priests shall bear before the ark, that's the ark of the covenant, Seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once, and thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear the ark before, uh, shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram horns, and the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. So what do we have here? I'm going to put this picture together for you. 
This is a picture of Jesus and the battle of Armageddon. You say, preacher, how do you, how do you find that? That will take, because the battle of Armageddon takes place on the seventh day, also known as the day of the Lord. Note that Jesus is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Joshua. Look at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Look at verse 45. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Jesus, do you see that? He's talking about Joshua. How fun is that? So Joshua and Jesus, it's the same name. So if we go back to this picture from the Old Testament, in Joshua 6, 4, we also find the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is also an Old Testament picture that always represents Jesus Christ. When John sees the Lord in Revelation 8, before him are seven angels, which have seven trumpets. And by the time the seventh angel blows the trumpet for the seventh time, it ushers in the seventh day or that day, when our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns to the earth to defeat the enemies of Israel. How about that? You see, when you tie it all together, all of these Old Testament pictures, they all picture the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know I could go through that slower and we could build it, but uh, I don't want to keep you too long. What about the word Selah? Okay, we've looked at this before, but I want to show you how this points to that day. All right, Psalm Chapter 3 and verse 1, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. That's what happens at the end of the tribulation period. There's no help. There's no help for them. Do you know what happens then? Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on the earth. Every time you see the word Selah, it's about that day. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. We've looked at it dozens of times, Zechariah 13, where it says, "You are my, the Lord is our God, and he says, you are my people. He cried, they cried, and he came out of his holy hill. Selah establishes his kingdom. Psalm 3 and verse 5, I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against, set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, and save me. O oh, my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Arise, O Lord, and save me. The Son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. It's exactly what it's talking about. Selah, the kingdom. Psalm 9 and verse 19. Arise, O Lord, and let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. 
There did we rejoice in him. Oh, wait a minute. Didn't we just say that that's a picture of the return of Christ? And now this psalm that mentions Selah is referencing the same thing. He ruled by his power, he ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Psalm 140, deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man, which imagine mischiefs in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips, Selah. And they gather together in Zechariah 14. Then the Lord will fight, for, will fight with them as when he fought in the day of battle, Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. The proud have hit a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me. Selah. Jesus Christ comes back and takes care of it. I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications. O Lord, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. Thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Further not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves. Selah. And Jesus Christ rules and reigns for a thousand years. He binds the wicked for a thousand years. At the end, he's loosed, and they don't fight. God kills him with the word of his, destroys him with the word of his mouth. That's it. So now, let's finish this up. The end of your handout there. Until Christ's kingdom glory is the passion and theme of our lives, we will, be t- we will totally miss the point of the Bible, our salvation, and thus the purpose for our very existence. Again, until Christ's kingdom glory is the passion and theme of our lives, we will totally miss the point of the Bible, our salvation, and thus the purpose for our very existence. Let me just tell you something. When Donald Trump helps nations to make peace with Israel, God smiles on the United States. Why? Because they're his people. And Jesus Christ is coming back to that land, that specific land, that specific place to establish his kingdom. Folks, we need to align with God's word. And we need to read the Bible understanding the theme. And it's all about the glory of God and his word. Amen? How many of you learned something tonight? Did y'all learn something? Amen. And that's, that's the goal for this. I'm excited. We're going to keep going. We're going to get our next theme next Sunday night. And we're just going to, or not our next theme. There's only one theme. We're going to get our next key next Sunday night. And we're going to continue. Let's all stand together.